0: Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we conclude our sermon series, The Love Languages of God. What if the broken parts of our bodies, hearts, and minds are really the strongest places in disguise? What if serving the least of these was really the most important act of all? Join us for the message, Loving Through Service. and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. You know, what if the broken parts of our bodies and our hearts and our minds are really the strongest places in disguise? And what if serving the least of these was really the most important act of all? We'll be talking about that later in our message, Loving Through Service. I also want to invite you to make an offering to the ministry of our church, You can do that through our website, tumcd.org, through our Church Center app, or through the old-fashioned way of writing a check and mailing it to the church.
1: Our first reading is Isaiah 58, beginning with verse 6. Shout out, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They want God on their side. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day, And oppress all your workers. You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is to bow down the head like a bulrush and lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindictors shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. Our second reading is Matthew, beginning with verse 31. Matthew 25, beginning with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. Just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
0: One of the most special memories that I took from my former church, Oak Haven, UMC in Irving, was the worship service that we had on Monday, Thursday. That's the Thursday that's right before Easter, that was, on the, was in the first year that I was there. We had a service of foot washing, where I washed the feet of the congregation members one by one, and as we finished, a young girl named Gabby, whom I think was about 10 or 11 years old, she asked who was going to wash my feet. Well, that wasn't part of the service that I had planned, Uh, but Gabby came forward on her own and insisted that she wash my feet. So I sat down and she washed one foot while another boy named Louis washed the other. And this was just totally unexpected. And I was so deeply moved to be ministered to by the children of the church. Well, it's reminiscent it then of the story of Jesus on the last night that he spent with his friends, the disciples. And it's on that story that we base our practice of foot washing. And as you recall, one of the last things that Jesus did was he taught his disciples the importance of serving others. So he took off his outer cloak, he put a towel around his waist, and he washed his disciples' feet. And you see, in that culture, only servants and slaves would wash other people's feet. And Jesus was saying that we're to do the same. He said this, "'So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've set you an example." That you also should do as I have done to you. Now service to others is it's just foundational to Christian discipleship, and I think sometimes it can be the best and the truest test of our faith. One of my professors in seminary was the world-renowned theologian Schubert Ogden, and he was a legend among the students and the alumni of Perkins. And my first year at Perkins was his final year before his retirement, and I wanted to make sure that I had at least one course with him before I left. So my very first semester, I I took with him Introduction to Theology. Now, Dr. Ogden was the kind of professor who did not suffer fools gladly. (laughs) He could be harshly critical of your answers to his questions during class, and many of the students felt quite intimidated by him. But I was determined... Not to let intimidation rob me of the opportunity to interact with one of theology's great minds, but I can tell you that I thought very carefully (laughs) before opening my mouth in class. Well, one day Dr. Ogden said something, though, that had a greater impact on me than anything else I ever heard him say. And he was considering the gospel passage that Kay just read earlier about Jesus' parable of the separation of the sheep and goats. And he shared that this story, this parable, was what kept his own ego in check. Because through this parable, he was reminded that when we someday appear before the throne of Christ, we're not going to be judged on our intellect. We won't be asked how many books we wrote or how many papers got published. Jesus isn't going to quiz us on the intricacies of scriptural interpretation or doctrinal hair splitting. In the end, what will matter is this. Did we give food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, welcome to the stranger, clothing to the naked, care to the sick, or friendship to the prisoner? Schubert Ogden could be a very arrogant man, but it did sound to me as if he still knew what was of true importance though it did make me wonder just how arrogant he would have been without that parable. (laughs) But I was very grateful, though, to have at least had one semester with this great theologian. Well, we're now on our fifth and final week of this particular sermon series, exploring the love of God, neighbor, and self, through the lens of the vows that we make when we publicly profess our faith at our confirmation. And among those sacred vows we make, we include this. As a member of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? And so these five things, prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness, these are ways that we express our love and our faithfulness, not just to the church, but to God as well. And fulfillment of these vows are how we exhibit love for God, love for neighbor, and also love for ourselves. And each week we have been examining one of these vows and then making a a connection between one of these vows and then one of the five love languages that was identified in the 1992 book by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Last. And the premise of this book, and I know many of you are familiar with it, but the premise is that different types of actions make different types of individuals feel the most loved and valued. And on week one, we explored what the author calls words of encouragement, that is, verbal expressions of love and appreciation, and then we connected the words of encouragement with the words of prayer. In the second week, we looked at the love language known as quality time, because some people feel the most loved and valued when someone spends significant amounts of quality time giving them just their undivided attention. And we connected that love language with the vow of presence. The third week, we examined the love language of receiving tangible gifts and connected that with the vow of gifts. Now, the next vow in the series is service, prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness. But because last Sunday was All Saints Sunday, we decided to flip the order of these last two of service and witness because we thought that the vow of witness so neatly fit in with the theme of All Saints Sunday about how we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Linking witness, however, to one of the love languages, as I talked about last week, was a challenge. We ultimately linked it to the love language of physical touch, because some people feel the most loved when they receive just everyday acts of physical affection from their loved ones. And likewise, we metaphorically touch the lives of others when we bear witness to the good news of God's love in Jesus Christ. Well, this week, the link between the vow of service and the love language known as acts of service is a very obvious connection. Some people feel the most loved when others perform acts of service in their everyday lives, and this often includes most commonly things like household chores and running an errand for your loved one. It can also uh, include caring for someone when they're sick or injured or otherwise compromised mentally or physically. I know many of us at some time in our lives are going to be tasked with the job of being a long-term caretaker to a loved one. And I think sometimes this is perhaps the most ultimate example of loving someone through acts of service. I know I saw this as my oldest sister, Anne, took care of both of our parents there toward the end of their lives. It was a magnificent act of service to witness. Now, there's an overlap among all these vows and love languages. Uh, This is most evident, however, I think, in the vows we make um, to love God and the church and others through through our gifts and our service. I see gifts and service to be a lot of overlap between these two vows. Now, we've identified different kinds of gifts. We talked about the usual ones we think of last week, wealth, money, assets, possessions. Uh, there's also some intangible gifts, things like families, relationships, health, our life circumstances. There's even natural gifts, uh, food, air, water, natural resources, plants and animals, including our pets, because I know so many of us are pet lovers. But all of these are gifts that we receive from God and that we can then turn and give to others. There are things that are outside of or external to ourselves, things which belong to God but for which we have been given then the responsibility of good stewardship. By contrast, I think of service is what we give from inside of ourselves. It's intrinsic to us. They're the talents and abilities that we've been given by virtue of our genetics, our life circumstances, and also our ability and willingness to develop those talents and abilities. As I said, there's a lot of overlap. If someone has a special talent, for example, in music or art or athletics, we say that they are gifted. And good stewardship of that gift often involves the disciplined development of that gift. But good stewardship would also involve how one then uses that gift for the purposes of God. We can look at the discipline of service as being the stewardship, then, of our focus, our time, and our energy. Will we be generous with the gifts we've been given? And are we willing to focus and take the time and the energy to utilize them for service for the greater good? Now, some of you may be, may be familiar with the term spiritual gifts. In several places in the New Testament, uh, Paul and other New Testament writers uh, make lists of these spiritual gifts. Often listed are such things as apostolic leadership, prophecy, teaching, healing, helping, administration, discernment, and there's many others. Uh, None of these lists are designed to be exhaustive. Traditionally, spiritual gifts are thought of as gifts of ability that are given to us by the Holy Spirit at the time that we accept for ourselves God's gift of salvation. Yet I've always noticed that our spiritual gifts really usually always closely align with our natural gifts and talents. So I kind of think of spiritual gifts, therefore, as as natural talents that have then been quickened by the Holy Spirit to then be used for the building up of the kingdom of God. Now, all of us, all Christians, have at least one and sometimes several spiritual gifts, and all Christians are called to utilize those spiritual gifts in service to the church and to others. And we're called to service by virtue of our baptisms. We don't have to be ordained or consecrated to ministry. Our baptisms give us the authority to be in ministry. And so we had the commission of ministry from the moment that those baptismal waters washed over our faces. As the body of Christ in the world, God, or excuse me, Christ chooses us to be God's divine agents in creation. So infused with the Holy Spirit, we become co-creators, or sometimes I like to say (laughs) co-conspirators. Co-conspirators with God, serving the mission to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And because remember, we pray every single Sunday, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because, you see, we're, we're part of the priesthood of all believers. We're not volunteers. We're servants of God. This is how one writer put it. "'The laity had come to see with a shock "'that they were the frontline soldiers of the church. "'They, not the clergy, were the representatives of Christ "'who were actually present in the factories, shops, offices, "'schools, and homes of the country.'" If Christ's compassion was to get into those situations, then they, the laity, must be the channels through which it would come. If Christ's truth was to be spoken, then they must speak it. All spiritual gifts, by the way, are of equal value because they all come from the same one spirit. We must not be discouraged because we think our particular gift isn't particularly exciting. I read the story of an attorney who was very disappointed to find out that his spiritual gift was identified as administration. (laughs) He said, how boring, he thought. But then he went on a mission trip with his church and discovered that he was the only one who could keep up with all the details of the trip, keep it all together in his mind. Without him, the group would have been discouraged and confused and on at least one occasion completely lost he began then to appreciate his gift of administration. So as we've examined among all the vows, keeping the vow of service is also a way of love. And I think perhaps one of the best ways to show our love for God is to love and serve God's people. There's an inextricable bond between the love of God and the love of neighbor, as perhaps is no better illustrated than the parable of the sheep and goats that Cade read, read earlier. Jesus comes out, he comes right out and says that how you and I have loved and served the least of these is the equivalent of how we have loved and served Jesus himself. And how we have ignored the least of these is how we have ignored Jesus. Service is nothing less than love and action. In the Christian life, faith, faith is like breathing in, while service is like breathing out. So stop doing either one of those breathing in faith and then breathing out service. Without those two, the body of Christ will wither and die. But as we have seen over and over again, loving God and loving neighbor ends up being a way to love ourselves. Because being involved in effective service is actually one of life's greatest joys. The feeling that we get from serving others is a superlative natural high. Service helps us feel useful. It's like our lives truly matter and that we're part of something that's larger than ourselves. This joy we feel can even be a guide to this type of service to which we're being called. There's an oft-repeated quote by Presbyterian minister and spiritual writer Frederick Buechner that goes like this. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. I want to repeat that. The place that God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. So think about what gives you deep gladness. Where does your joy come from? About what do you feel passionate? You could also ask, when you look at the world, what makes you feel angry? When you look at the world, what breaks your heart? The prophet Jeremiah wrote, If I say, I will not mention the Lord or speak any more in his name, then within me there's something like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I'm I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. O Lord of hosts, you test the righteous, you see the heart and the mind, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hands of evildoers." So what is it that feels like a burning fire that's just shut up in your bones? Is there something that you're just weary from holding in? Oftentimes we serve because we're asked or because we see something that needs to be done. But sometimes we see a need in the world that just tugs at our hearts and engages our emotions in a way that we are just unable to shake. And that's usually a good sign, then, that God is calling us to a very specific place of action and service. In fact, one of the best places to look for how God may be calling us to service, I think, is to look at the broken places of our own lives. Years ago, when I blew out my left knee, I had to have my knee surgically repaired. And the surgeon used a graft from my hamstring tendon to fashion a new anterior cruciate ligament for my knee. Before it was all done, I had to go back for a second surgery and had to endure eight months of grueling physical therapy. But afterwards, I had a knee that the surgeon told me was three times stronger than it had previously been. And my understanding of these newer newer procedures is they can now repair a ligament that's six times stronger than the original ligament or more. So this broken place in my body then became one of the strongest places in my body. And likewise, it is often the broken heart, when it is healed, that is stronger than it was before. We sometimes call this being older and wiser. The particular ways and places that our hearts have been broken can direct us to where God is calling us to serve. For example, if you had to struggle with a learning disability as a child, then you may feel a special call to help children now. If you've survived a serious disease or injury, you may have a special call to help with those who are still in the throes of dealing with a similar condition. If you know what it's like to go to bed hungry, then helping the poor and homeless may be a great place for you to serve. If you know what it's like to feel depressed and hopeless, then you can often reach others who are also suffering in that way. We often think that our brokenness disqualifies us from being able to serve effectively. But so often, the exact opposite is true. Our broken places can become our strongest places, especially when we use them to love and serve others. I think this is reiterated in the letter to the Ephesians, where it says, "...the gifts Christ gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ." These verses say that our spiritual gifts have been given to us to equip the saints. Now, the Greek word here that is translated equip is actually a medical term that's used to refer to the setting of a dislocated joint. So in other words, Christ is able to set right the dislocated parts of our hearts and our souls so that we can be of service in building up the body of Christ. We're being called to service by the God who came to serve us. Because there are children out there that are never going to hear the stories of Jesus unless someone teaches them. There are people who will never set foot into a church unless someone makes them feel welcome. There are people out there with broken hearts and broken lives that are never going to experience God's blessing and healing unless you're willing to share your life story with them. There are grave injustices in this world that are never going to be made right until you confront them. As Jesus said to his own disciples, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So may we never forget that just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, my family. You did it to me. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday will be graced by the music and message brought to us by the students of the Denton Wesley Foundation. You can always access our services through our website, TUMCD.org our Facebook page and our podcast Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure God bless you in the week ahead we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church